I'd take another special if somebody had one, but if not, okay. I don't want to twist your arm. I don't want to beg you. Uh, <laughs> all right, then. Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to in the book of Isaiah. Back there, kind of in the middle part of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 63. Okay? Isaiah chapter 63. Now, let me say, as uh, you're turning there, that this is a, um, what we have recorded here is a prayer of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we, we have recorded here, uh, I can't remember exactly where it ends. We're going to start in verse 7, which is where the prayer starts. Uh, but I think it goes through maybe chapter 64. It goes on for a ways, and we're not going to read it all. We're just going to read the first few verses here this evening. But this is um, a portion of Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah chapter 63, beginning with verse 7, says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us in the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely... They are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned uh, to be their enemy, and he sought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within them? That led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them, to make himself an everlasting name that led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble as a beast goeth down into the valley. The spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight to study your word, to uh, lift up our voices to you in praise, uh, <clears throat> to sing of your glorious works and wondrous things that you've done, to worship you together in spirit and truth, Lord, uh, to proclaim your word, for your word to be preached tonight, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for the, the opportunity we have to gather here for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have, Lord God. Oh, you've been so good to us. Every breath that we draw, it's a gift from you. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and given so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, we're not worthy, 
We don't deserve it. Lord, and we could never. Not, not in a million years could we do enough to repay you or even to thank you like you deserve. And God, you knew that, but Lord, you've done it anyways. You give the best that you had to offer. You sent your only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross for our sins, for our wrongs, for the things that we done in rebellion against you. Lord, that's how much you loved us. And Lord, my heart's desire is that no one would leave here tonight without realizing that. Lord, my prayer tonight is that every one of, every single person here would leave here tonight knowing how great a love that you have for them, how much that you care for them, that in spite of their rebellion, in spite of uh, everything that we have done, that you still love them, you still care for them, you still have a place for them. And so, Lord, my prayer tonight is, is that you would move amongst your people in a mighty way. God, that you'd stir our hearts. Lord, that you'd lift us up. God, that, you'd, that you would encourage us here tonight. Lord, that you'd have your way and your will in our midst here in a mighty way. Lord, I'm asking that you would just come in and do what only you can do here tonight. God, uh, you know the hearts of each one that is here. There's nothing that is hidden from you. Nothing that you don't know. Nothing that, you do, that is, uh, surprises you here tonight. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that you would move and meet the needs of our people here tonight. God, that you'd lift us up and encourage us, draw us near to you, fill us full of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just pour yourself out on us. Lord, if there's any that has drifted away, any that's grown cold, any that don't know you, Lord, let tonight be the night that they'd get things right with you. So, Lord, we're just asking, help us to get out of the way and let you be God of this service tonight. Have your way and your will in our midst. And, Lord, I need your help tonight. God, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Fill me full of your spirit. Lord, anoint me from on high. Pour your holy unction out upon me. Lord, my desire is to preach your word in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. And I can't do that without you. I need your help tonight. I need your empowering. Uh, and so, Lord, I'm just asking tonight, have your way and your will uh, in my heart, in my mind, uh, with my tongue, and in this service. And we'll give you the glory for it. We love you tonight. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I look at this, um, and you, you prayed tonight that I'd be willing and uh, allow God to have his will and his way here tonight uh, and do this the way that God wants me to do it. Um, I look at this tonight, and for me, now maybe I'm just, simple-minded and maybe it won't be for you but for me once I finally begin to get a hold of what was being said here for me it was very profound uh, maybe it won't be profound for you maybe it's a thought that God had already given you something that he'd already showed you but for me it was it kind of I don't know if profound is the right word or not but I, it was deep for me 
Now, understand, first of all, that I told you this is a portion of Isaiah's prayer. And understand that the whole thing, if we were to study this whole you know, group of scriptures, not just the ones that I've read, but we go on through the whole prayer, we would see that uh, you know, it's talking about God's um, compassion, right? His compassionate acts towards his people in spite of, and that's the important thing, in spite of their unfaithfulness to him, right? Uh, the nation of Israel has got this problem with being unfaithful to God, right? It, it, in the Old Testament, it talks about the nation of Israel and God. It uses the imagery of a husband and a wife, uh, you know, of them being married. And over and over again, Israel is unfaithful. And what is meant by unfaithful is, is they don't stay true to God. They chase after other gods, right? The idols, the foreign idols, the idols of their neighbors, the idols of the Canaanites and the, and the Philistines and all those that lived, you know, there. And they, remember, they make the golden calves and do all that stuff, right? And so anyways, that is adultery. It is spiritual adultery. And God makes that point, and that's why they're thought of and referred to as being unfaithful to God. If you go through and you read and you study the book of Hosea, right, there is a physical living example of what spiritually Israel is doing and been doing to God, right? In the book of Hosea, right, Hosea keeps going after his wife and she keeps being unfaithful to him and she keeps going and retrieving her just for her to turn around and do it again. That is the story of Israel, unfaithfulness. <coughs> They're unfaithful. Uh, God takes his hand off of them. They get into a mess. They get into trouble. Things get bad. God rescues them, right? And then they do good for a little bit, right? And then they become unfaithful again. And we have that cycle over and over again. And so uh, a big part of what is being said here in, in this passage of Scripture is God's faithfulness to Israel in spite of their unfaithfulness, right? God's been faithful even when they have not been faithful, right? And we can see that, on, that same thing in our own lives. God is faithful to us uh, even when we are not faithful, right? In spite of our unfaithfulness sometimes. And so anyways, as we look at this, understanding the context of what is being said, I want to hone in for just a minute on verse 10. So let's look at verse 10 again, okay? But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Now we're going to keep, I'm going to try to break this down for us and we're going to keep coming back to verse 10 here, okay? So, the first thing that I want to talk about is it talks about God providing His Holy Spirit, right? His Holy Spirit is talked about here that they vexed, they rebelled, they vexed uh, God's Holy Spirit. Uh, and so anyways, let's, let's, let's look at that for a minute, okay? So our Lord has provided, <coughs> excuse me, the Holy Spirit to us to aid us in our walk, right? We need to bring, let's bring this to us today. God has provided his Holy Spirit. When you get saved, God gives you his Holy Spirit, right? I mean, there's probably 
better ways to say that. There is probably a, a, a more, I don't know, prettier way to explain it. But really what it boils down to is whenever you finally really, truly get saved. Now there's a lot of false salvations that take place. I, I mean, that's just a truth. There's a lot of times people make the trip down the aisle into the altar and they leave the same way that they came, right? They come for the wrong reasons, right? They come, uh, you know, their heart is not right. Or, or they come, maybe they do come with a, with a conviction and for the right reason, but they get here and there's some things that they're just not willing to let go of. There's some things that they're not willing to surrender to God, right? They're not willing to turn it over to Him. They're really, really, not really. That was too many reallys in there. But they're not really. Boy, I'm, I don't know how I want to say that. They don't really repent. You know, they, they're sorry for what they've done. They're sorry for the way things have turned out. But that repentance is more than just being sorry. Now God explains it about a godly sorrow that worketh repentance, which that's different than a worldly sorrow, right? So there's a godly sorrow, right? And, and in order to be, in order to have that, when you have that godly sorrow and you truly repent, there is a change that takes place. There is a turning away from sin in the world and a turning towards God. Too many fall short of that. Uh, I got a little story I use for repentance. I, surely I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again in case I haven't. Think about it this way for just a minute. Think about uh, you, the husband and wife driving down the road, right? She's got the directions. He thinks he knows where they're going, right? He don't think he needs any help. He don't think he needs any directions. He knows he's been there before or thinks he's been there before. She's actually got the directions, and she says, Honey, you need, up here you need to make a right. But instead of going right, he goes left. And he goes left, and he's going down the road the wrong way, the opposite way he needs to go. He should have went right, and he went left. So, he, so here he is going this way when he should have been going that way. And he realizes that he's went the wrong way, and he says, Honey, I'm sorry, you were right. There's sorrow. There's recognition that he's going the wrong way. But he doesn't turn around. He just keeps on going. That's not repentance. See, the picture of repentance, for to truly repent, not only does he need to say he's sorry, but he needs to turn that old car around and head the right way and get back on the right road. You see what I'm saying? That is... That is a, too often, here's what we do. I don't want to say most of the time, but it feels that way sometimes. So much, so many times we'll come, right? We're broken, right? Things aren't going good in our life. God's done something to wake us up, to get our attention, right? And then God uh, uh, convicts us by His Holy Spirit. And so we come and we know what we've done wrong and we say, God, I'm sorry. But we keep going down the road the wrong way. We're not willing to turn the car around. So, we'll look at this tonight. And we see that the Holy Spirit has been provided to aid us in our walk. Would it be fair to say it that way? I think so. God has provided the Holy Spirit to aid us in our walk. 
right? Our Christian walk, our walk with God. Do you really think that you could walk with Him, that you could maintain that walk with Him without the Holy Spirit? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think it's humanly impossible. I think that's part of where, uh, part of where we go wrong, right? Is we try to walk with God in our own power instead of in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Right? I think that's I think we just get into trouble, right? That the flesh is weak. And next thing you know, we're headed down the wrong, we're headed down the road the wrong way. We know that we're going the wrong way. We're sorry that we're going the wrong way. But the flesh ain't got enough power to turn the car around. So God has given us the Holy Spirit. You know that song that Jesus take the wheel. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to grab the wheel and turn this baby around. So he's provided the Holy Spirit to aid us in our walk. The Holy Spirit in the scriptures is called the Comforter. Uh, which that literally means, if you were to do a, a study there on those, on those scriptures where the Holy Spirit is referred to as a comforter, you would see that it literally means someone who comes along the side and helps. Right? That's, that's how the Holy Spirit comforts. He comes alongside of you and he helps, right? Sometimes that means carrying you when you can't go no farther, right? But anyways, that is the idea. That is the picture. The Holy Spirit aids. He comforts. He comes alongside. He helps. And of course, there's other functions of the Spirit of God too, right? There's other functions that the Holy Spirit does. For instance, in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that the Holy Spirit will help us to pray, right? There's times when we don't even know what to say, right? And the Holy Spirit prays for us even, it says, right? He he, you know, gives us utterance and, and he aids us in our prayer. John chapter 16 and verse 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us unto all truth. I, I, I could give you, I won't waste your time with it tonight, but I could give you an example after example in my own life where I thought I knew something, but the Holy Spirit was slowly, in his way, in his timing, you know, and, and maybe it'd been a lot faster if I wasn't so hard-headed and didn't think that, you know, I, I know this ain't true for nobody else, none of you, but it is for me. Sometimes I just think I know and I'm not willing to listen, you know, to anyone else. But anyways, the Holy Spirit will show you. He will guide you. He will lead you unto all truth. Right, if you're seeking the truth and you're seeking the answers, right, we can look at Acts chapter 8 and we can look at an Ethiopian eunuch that's on the way back home reading from the very book of Isaiah, uh, seeking the truth and the Holy Spirit picks up this man, right, and guides him there, this evangelist guides him there in the desert, right to, bear it to Isaiah, right at the right time reading the right passage to guide him to the truth. So we see the Holy Spirit. We see that he'll help us pray, that he'll guide us into all truth. John chapter 15 and verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit testifies to us of Jesus. That's his job is to, pre, is to point us to Jesus. That's what he does. It's, all, it's not all about him. It's all about Jesus, right? We, we need to l listen to me. If you're doing something, and, and so many times people will say, well, it's the Spirit working through me, or the Spirit is leading me, or the Spirit is guiding me. Look, if it's not testifying to Jesus, and it's not pointing to Jesus, it's not God's Spirit doing it. Might be your own will, or your own spirit, or your own flesh. 
Holy Spirit testifies to us and to the whole world of Jesus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit is who regenerates us and he, who renews us, right? Bible teaches that when we get saved that we're a new creature in Christ. Right, I started talking a while ago about that trip. So many make the trip, right? But they don't really repent, right? They don't really have that change of heart. They're sorry. They're sorry for the way things are, but they're not really renewed. They're not really regenerated because they don't really repent. They don't really turn loose of it. They don't really turn it over to God. But it is the Holy Spirit who comes in. Whenever you're finally, uh, when you're finally willing to let it all go, and when you're finally willing to turn the car around and head in the right direction, and when you're finally willing to surrender it all to God, it is the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes you a new creature in Christ. It's not you turning over a new leaf. Because if you turn over a new leaf, it ain't going to be very long, and it's going to be just as rotten as the old leaf. The Holy Spirit of God that regenerates you, renews you, makes you a new creature in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us build and live the Christian life. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and that I can be um, transformed into the image of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like. That's what God is doing when the kids say he's still working on me. He's still working on you too. And you know what he's doing? How, what, what the work is? The work is to transform you into the image of the Christ by the, uh, to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 also teaches this. But it is through the power of of the Holy Spirit of God that you and I can overcome the grip that sin has on us. Listen to me. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. But by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you can. You can turn away from sin. Right? That's what I'm talking about. The car's headed the wrong way down the road. You can't turn it around, but the Spirit of God can if you'll just let him. He's the one that, has to, that comes in and walks with us. He's the one that comes and aids us. He is the one that comes and helps us. He is the one that comes and builds us. He is the one that comes and transforms us. He's the one that by his power and through his work that our minds are renewed. He's the one that changes us and transforms us into the image of Christ. And he always, always, always has our best interests in mind. Now, that we've got that framework for the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. God doesn't change. He's the same, always has been, always will be. Uh, I would argue that Israel knew these things too. They might not have said it or articulated it the way that I just did. We come from a, a little bit of an advantage in our point of where we're at in, uh, in this dispensation. But, the Holy, but Israel understood God's Holy Spirit and his work and his power. I want you to notice in this verse 10 that they vexed his Holy Spirit. Now that word vex, it presents the idea of hurting. It, it, it presents the idea of a wounding. It gives the idea of being in pain. 
It literally means to torment, to distress, to trouble, to torture. Could actually fit in this. The, de- the dictionary didn't say that, but I mean, I added that. But I think that would be a good fit too, to torture. Joe, and the reason I say that is we can look through the scripture and it can help us to understand what God means by this, where else he uses this word. Uh, Job chapter 19 and verse 2, Job says, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? Right? He is comparing the vexing of his soul to being broken up, to literally being broken into pieces. It's used in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 15 to describe how the Egyptians had uh, oppressed Israel, right? That the uh, severe oppression that Israel went through as slaves and bondage in Egypt, right? It refers to that as vexing them, right? That gives you an idea of what it means by vex. It's also used in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 27 uh, to describe the anguish that this humanite woman who had just lost her son, right? The anguish that she had over the death of her son, right? She is vexed uh, because of it or by it. It is also used in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22 by the Syrophoenician woman, right? When she's describing uh, the misery that her daughter was in. And she says, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Imagine, right? The vexing of the Holy Spirit. The very one whose mission it is to help us. We are wounding. We are vexing. We are torturing. Right? That's what it's talking about here. We go back to Isaiah 63 here. And, 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 and he's talking about uh, and vexed his Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. He is saying that the very one who is sent to, to help them, to guide them, to comfort them, to strengthen them, to empower them. That one right there, right? Part. Of, I mean, this is, this is one of three of the Trinity. This is really God, you know. And so anyways, they're saying what the, what the, by their actions what they've done is they have wounded him. They have vexed him. They have hurt him. They cause him pain. They have tortured him. Now let's talk for a second. What are the consequences? What happens when you vex the Holy Spirit of God? Well, of course, obviously, I think it's probably apparent that there's a loss of that close, intimate fellowship with God, that walk with God. Right? What happens whenever uh, Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, their intimate fellowship with God is broken. We see that throughout all of the scriptures, right? So, so that should be obvious to us, first of all. I think verses 11 and 12 here uh, pick up something else. It tells us that there was a loss of leadership. Right? It's describing in here. Let me read it to you. Then, uh, verse 11, then he remembered the days of old Mo- Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Right? Where is he that led them through the crossing of the Red Sea? Uh, where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? 
that led them, verse 12, that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them, again, that's referring back to the Red Sea crossing, to make himself an everlasting name. One thing that happens when you vex the Holy Spirit of God is not only do you lose that close, intimate fellowship with God, right, it, it, it causes an initial damage to that relationship, but you lose the leadership. You lose the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Even though the people saw Moses as the leader, right, understanding the scriptures here, the Bible tells us and makes it clear to us that it's the Holy Spirit that was actually guiding them and influencing them. So this vexing, this wounding of the Holy Spirit results in a loss of that leadership of being led. I mean, think about it. Why? Why should he lead you where you do not want to go? Why should he lead you to higher ground? That's how, how we like to think of it. Why should he lead you to higher ground when you're determined to wound him? What else are the consequences? Verse 13. I think verse 13 tells us uh, that there was a loss of protection. Verse 13, that led him through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. That they should not stumble. Notice that because of that leadership, that when it was present, they didn't stumble. The Holy Spirit, you realize this, right? He, often, he is working ahead of you. He's moving ahead of you, right? I, there's no telling how many times, right, that the devil is laid his snares and the Holy Spirit has come along in front of you and just swept them out of the way. You understand that tonight, right? The Holy Spirit often removes the stumbling blocks or prevents us from going down the path that would cause us to stumble, removes the snares that the devil has laid for wound him, vex him, and he'll withdraw himself. And he will leave you, or that will leave you, you've done it to yourself, without spiritual eyes, without his enlightenment, completely blind and open to the attacks of the devil. What else happens? I think verse 14 tells us that it says to us that there's a loss of rest also. Verse 14, as a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. You know, I, I'll just say this quickly. I don't want to spend, I don't want to keep you here all night, but spiritual restlessness comes. When we wound or vex the Spirit. I've seen too often in my ministry people who are resisting the Spirit of God. They are, when you resist the Spirit of God, you vex Him. They are vexing the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you something, it becomes obvious. I, I, God may not reveal to me what it is that they're supposed to do or need to do or, or what's going on. But it, you don't have to be around them very often and it becomes obvious. They do not have peace. They do not have rest. They do not have, they are not experiencing the joy of the Lord. They're miserable in that condition. There is no rest in that condition. 
And here's the thing I said there was something for me was eye-opening. Look back at verse 10 for a minute. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, now listen to this part, right? I've explained the vexing of the Holy Spirit. When they vexed his Holy Spirit, listen to what happens. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and fought against them. The Holy Spirit turned to be their enemy and the Holy Spirit fought against them. It is saying that the Holy Spirit becomes their enemy whenever they vex him. Think about it. The very one that was sent to help them was turned to be their enemy and fought against them. Right? We often like to quote Romans 8.31 and say, If God be for us, who can be against us? But I think that sometimes we need to be asking, what hope is there if God be against us? Do you understand me tonight? Now, now let, me, let me go ahead and put the rest of this together, and we'll, we'll circle back to this in a minute. I think it's important that you understand what causes the vexation. Now, I'm not done on the enemy part. We'll come back in a minute. But what causes the vexation? Well, it's real obvious in the first part of this verse. But they rebelled. But they rebelled, right? They rebelled against God. That's what vexed him. The word rebelled represents the idea, of course, of, of, of rebellion, of opposition, of resistance, of disobedience, right? Rebellion against God, uh, it tells us here, wounds or vexes his Holy Spirit. You know, as a pastor, it bothers me so much when I see Christians go against the things of God, it especially grieves me when I think of all the wonderful and good things that God wanted to do through them. All the things that could have been done for the kingdom of God, the people they could have reached, the, thing, the glorious things uh, that we could have saw happen. But now it's been forfeited because they would not obey the Lord. You listen to me tonight. Rebellion is just that. It's rebellion. You can't justify it. We try to justify it. We justify rebellion all the time. But listen to me. Rebellion is still rebellion. And it vexes the Holy Spirit of God. Now you might think that it's a small thing and that it's a small man. But listen to me. Rebellion in any form is a major issue that God must deal with. I'm talking about rebellion against God and against what God is trying to do. Look, it could be as something as simple as a, 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 as a dress issue, right? Ladies, God, the Holy Spirit of God could just be simply nudging you to cover up a little bit. And yet you rebel against, you know, maybe you rebel against him. You know what I'm saying? And think, well, this is the style. This is the fashion. What's wrong with it, right? Listen to the world a little bit and say, you're not going to shame me, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that you're vexing. It's not some, it's not some prudish preacher that you're snubbing your nose at. It could be something a little deeper. Well, really, it, it is something a little deeper. It could be a heart issue. 
It could be an attitude issue. Hey, listen to me. Uh, you might not think it's much, but God sees it as rebellion. Uh, it could be a gossip issue, right? It could be something as small as you just can't keep your mouth shut, right? You just can't help but just stir it up just a little bit, you know, or, 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 or just spread it around or whatever the case may be. You know that you could be sowing the seeds of rebellion. And God's not pleased with that. You do know that one of the seven things that God hates is someone who sows discord among the brethren. That's Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19. Listen to me, this rebellion, it could be a giving issue. It could be that you're just holding on to your wallet a little too tight. Right? It could be that you're thinking, well, I need that. It could be that you're thinking, well, I can make better use of that. I know how to handle that better, right? It could be that you, you, know, you don't agree with something, right? That there's some uh, issue or something, that some decision made or whatever, and, and, and you're not in a total agreement with it. Whatever it is, you could be, it could be that you've got a little bit of a greed problem. It could be the love of money. And you might think, well, it's not a big deal. It's just a few dollars. What's that to the one that owns all the cattle on a thousand hills? But you see, it's a rebellion issue. It vexes the Holy Spirit of God. It could be a matter of absolute, willful, direct disobedience. It could be that God spoke to you. You don't doubt it and you don't question it. You never have. You just don't want to do it. You know what that is? That's rebellion. You know what that does? That vexes the Holy Spirit. That wounds the very one that has been given to come alongside you and to walk with you and to help you, and to empower you, to aid you, to give you the strength to do what God has called you to do. What you need in order to go out into the field and labor, add souls to the kingdom of God. Listen, I have lived in this life with the Holy Spirit leading me. And I have also lived without him leading me. And let me tell you from experience. Firsthand, this ain't secondhand, this is firsthand. It is far better when he's doing the leading. You want, you want things to turn out the best that they possibly could? You want things to, listen, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. You know, God has a way when we love him and we're serving him and we're letting him lead us. I'm not saying that you won't ever have problems or issues. My goodness. The devil hates you and he's looking to sift you as wheat, right? He's going to do everything he can to take you out and destroy you. Listen to me. that He's going to, wherever your weak point is, 
Oh, Satan's good at what he does. He knows what he's doing. That's where he's going to come at you. Uh, listen, uh, you go study the book of Job, and you can see how Satan works and how he attacks, right? He went after Job's uh, material things, his, you know, his money and his wealth, his, his farm, and then he went after Job's kids, you know, wherever there was weakness, wherever he could get at Job. He even, uh, you know, I don't know, I think he kind of even got at Job's wife a little bit too. But anyways... You, there's an enemy, and there will definitely be attacks. But God has a way of taking those things and making good come out of them. I've lived by my own leading for a lot of years. And let me tell you something. I didn't do nothing but make a mess out of things. I turned it over to God. God said, all right, this is what I want you to do. I said, God, you have lost your mind. You are, you, there's no way I can do those things. But I, I won't say that it's been perfect, right? There's been times where I've let him lead, and he's done things that I just couldn't believe. And there's been times where I've tried to take the reins back. And as you can guess, things didn't turn out so well whenever i done that. So, let me ask you something, and I'm done. Do you wish to have God as your enemy? Do you wish to have God as your enemy. I think, I could be wrong, you correct me when you leave here if I'm wrong. I think every single person in here will answer that question emphatically, no. I don't want God as my enemy. If that's the case, then I want you to consider the question that I just asked you, do you want God as your enemy before you decide to disobey God the next time? The next time the Holy Spirit is prompting you and leading, trying to lead you and guide you and direct you, uh, the, the next time that you know things come along and the flesh comes up and you are considering rebelling against God, Right, that's what led to the vexation, the rebellion against God, right? Uh, the next time you decide or have the temptation to rebel against God, remember the question. Do you wish to have God? Do you want to have God as your enemy? And let me throw one more out, out to you and then I'm done. I want you to remember that also before you encourage someone else to disobey God too. We've got to be so careful. We live in such a, there is such a spirit of rebellion. I don't know how else to describe it or how else to say it, but there is such a spirit of rebellion in our culture, in our society, and so many, right? It just seems like it's to the point where the message is being 
conveyed to us and to our children too and our grandchildren that it is the right thing to do to rebel. To rebel against what? Rebel against anything. Rebel against everything. And when it gets really serious, now look, I mean, it's, you know, you're probably stupid when you rebel against your parents and things like that. But when it gets really serious is when you rebel against God. Because you know what you're doing? You are vexing the Holy Spirit of God and you are flipping things around and you are making Him your enemy when you do that. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it might be here tonight, however the Lord might be dealing with you, don't hold back, don't resist. Would you come tonight? Would you come?